0: Okay, saints, tonight, Exodus chapter 33, in your Bibles, please, Exodus chapter 33. Let's bow our hearts. Father, once again, as we continue this journey, um, continuing with just the children of Israel and and their relationship with you, and coming out of this place, Lord, where we've just really camped out in that chapter of sin, and we come to this place, this glorious place where... um, There's grace. There's truth, but there's grace. As you've ministered to our hearts, as you've knit us to your own, as you've revealed just truly how um, wretched we are, the thoughts and the intent of of man is just outside of, of just light, without you imparting it. We are asking, Lord, that you would show us a measure of your grace tonight, a measure of the calling that you have for us tonight, warnings, and at the same time, encouragements. Tonight, Lord, simply give us ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us, your church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 33. I want to just read through this first portion, and uh, then we'll just simply jump into our study. I want to back it up into chapter 32, verse 35, and then just move on. So, Exodus 32, verse 35. So, the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. Now, chapter 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham. Isaac and Jacob saying to your descendants, I will give it. I'm gonna pause here for just a second. Does someone have a Kleenex? Anyone have a Kleenex anywhere? If we could, I'll keep reading and wait for something to come up. You know? Oh, that's perfect. Anything, yeah, just. Yeah. Kleenex, cardboard, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. All right, back back to the reading here. Thank you. So in let's start over in verse 1. Exodus chapter 33, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from there, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite, and the Hivite and the Jebusite go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no, on no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I would come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the Tabernacle of Meaning. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. As we look to this, keep in mind that here we are on the 21st of November, and in this week has an event that thousands and thousands of Americans and Christians are looking forward to. And I'm not referring to Thanksgiving and some of you are thinking, like, huh, Black Friday. Oh, that's the event. That's what they're looking for. They've been waiting all year for this moment. And, and people are trying to see how they can get the most for the least. And, and what's interesting is that's kind of our text. Um, I Literally, I received a text from the, the Christian book distributors and they told me that already now I can get Black Friday deals. God, that's amazing. You're not even waiting till Friday to dish these things out. And so it's, it's all about the shopping deal. It's all about, you know, can I get the most for the least? And to be honest with you, I think that's where Christians think, that's what Christianity is. How can I get the most for the least? How can I do the least or give the least, but how can I get the most out of it? And it's almost as if we live our Christian life kind of with a barter system looking to say you know how can I, I get the blessings how can I get the gifts how can I get God to, to move and and what's interesting is that that so often we try to get the most out of the gifts of Christianity and yet where where Christianity is is that do you want the nearness of God do you want the intimacy with God and to be honest I'll with me personally it's one of those things where um pursue the blessings mm. that would be my counsel pursue the blessings that you know if we can give our all give our all in order to enter that sweet and intimate place with jesus christ it's interesting in the gospel of mark chapter 38 you guys know the passage but he makes that statement what a prophet a man if he were to gain the entire world and to lose his soul and and i was pondering that and and really you know What does it profit to have God's blessings and not have God? Good question. So I understand we have our souls, but but so often we we pursue the stuff. We pursue the the things. And and I I want you to, to just recognize here that where we left off in verse 35 or 32, so the Lord plagued because... The plague the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. And and rightly so. The the Lord plagued the people. They had had a great sin. God deals with their sin. There's a passage in Jeremiah chapter 5. I want to read to you just a couple of verses so that you can kind of see where the the motive is and then where we're going to go. But in Jeremiah 5 verses 23 through 25, he said, but this people is a defiant has a defiant and a rebellious heart. They have revolted and departed. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives rain both to the former and the latter in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. So understand, he said, you do not say this in your heart. Verse 25, he says, your iniquities have turned these things away. Your sins have withheld good from you. Now I want to take that and kind of develop that. Because he says your sins have, as as he makes it, withheld good. There's a note. Make a note of that. Your sins have withheld good. But in the very first verse, what God declares to the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart. Depart and go up from here, you and the people. He's saying, I want you guys to leave this area. I want you guys to move on from this area in which the sin was. Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying to your descendants, I will give it. Amazing. Amazing. He had just got done Louis saying that I have plagued the people because of the sin. We read there in Jeremiah 5.25 that, that your iniquities have turned away the blessings. Your sins have withheld good. And then God says, I'm still giving you my promises. Amazing. Amazing that God is saying, you are still going to go to the land which I swore you're still going to receive the promise. You're still going to receive that gift. And, and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm blown away that the promise of the promised land is still there. He didn't say, well, you know what? Now I'm going to take that back. And, and and amazingly, if you recognize the scriptures that say what all the promises in Jesus Christ are yes, yesterday, Amen. so we recognize these, these things are ours. God promises us the, the reality of of the spiritual promise line. And as we see this, I just want you to recognize the promise has not been pulled away. That promise, in a sense, is a guarantee. And he says, I'm still giving you a promise. But then what does it mean when he says, wait a second, your, your sins have withheld good. You can get the promise, but you, he still says your sins have withheld good. And he goes on in verse 2, and he said, and I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now, notice this. Not only is the promise still intact, but his protection and his power is still intact. This amazes me. It's so incredible to see that, that here he says. You have to understand I'm still going to watch over you. I'm still going to bless. I'm still going to take care of you. And it's such an amazing thing to to recognize this part of of the heart of God. He makes a statement. I want to read this to you. Don't turn it. Just just jot it down if you're a note taker. Just listen to it as I go through this. It's a portion that's found in Isaiah 63. The key being verse 9. So I'm going to read verse 9. And then I'm going to back it up and I'm going to read verses 18 through 15 just so you can kind of see the context. So Isaiah chapter 63 verse 9 makes this declaration. In all their affliction, he, speaking of God, was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. As they were going through it, God says, I'm going through it with you incredible to see. Remember what Paul said to, or what God said to Paul when he was still Saul of Tarsus? When he met him there on the road, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You understand in the afflictions, he was afflicted. and In the persecutors, he was persecuted. He, he is in tune with his people. And, and so incredible, we see that here, and I love this thing. In all their afflictions he was afflicted. The angel of his presence saved them. Power, protection. And so now I want to read to you verses 8 through 15. So you kind of see the context here of Isaiah chapter 63. But he makes this statement. Isaiah 63 verse 8. For he said, surely they are my people. Children who will not lie. So he became their savior. See, I hope you guys will do the right thing. I told you the right thing. Will you do the right thing? And so he he's made this thing. I I I want you to be this 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 fountain of this brook that holds water. I know that you want the spirit. I know that you want that life. I know that you want that intimacy and And he says, for he said, surely they are my people. So he became their savior and all their affliction. He was afflicted and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and he bore them and he carried them all the days of old. Amazingly. So, you know, if you've ever seen that that plaque that people have in their homes, maybe you've seen it's called Footprints. And about a guy walking along the beach and all of a sudden, all he sees is one Footprints and then he sees, you know, two footprints, and he goes, Lord, what's going on here? In all the rough days, every time that it's rough, there's only one set of footprints. Why do you leave me? God said, I didn't leave you, but I carried you. That plaque is wrong. There should be a plaque that has only one footprint the whole way. God carries you in the good days, and he carries you in the bad days. He just carries you. This is what he says. I just I, I love the heart. He says, I board them, and I carry them all the days, not just in the bad days, all the days of old. And then verse 10 he says, but they rebelled and they grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned himself against them as an enemy. He forgot. He fought against them. And he remembered the days of old. Moses and his people saying, where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? And where is he who put his Holy Spirit within them? Who led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm. Dividing the water before them to make For himself an everlasting name, who led them through the deep as a horse in the wilderness that they might not stumble. As a beast goes down into the valley and the spirit of the Lord causes him to rest, so you lead your people to make yourself a glorious name. And he says this, look down from heaven and see your habitation holy and glorious, where your zeal, where are your zeal and your strength, the yearning of your heart and your mercies towards me, are they restrained? It's amazing that he's looking to say, God, you know, can I experience blessings? Can we experience power? And and even though they sin, the great sin, God says you're still going to have this promise. I'm not going to take it away you're still going to have this protection. I'm not going to take it away. My my power is going to go before you. And and I love verse 2. I'm going to send my angel before me. He's going to drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. So amazingly, God says, your iniquities have turned away blessings. He went on to say, your sins have withheld good, but yet I'm going to give you... These promises, yeah, I'm going to give you the power. So what is he talking about? Take a look at verse three. Verse three is the key to this whole thing. He says, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Go up, go have it. It's all yours. Go up to the land flowing, flowing, overflowing with milk and honey. And he says this, for I will not go up in your midst. Go there, have the promise, but I'm not there. Go there, have the blessing. I'm going to send my promise, you got it. I'm going to send my power, I'm going to drive you off. I'm not going to be there. Go ahead, it's all yours, but I'm not yours. Absolutely incredible that we see here, he says, my presence will not go up. And now we see a little bit of what he's talking about when he says, listen, your iniquity had turned away blessings. Not promises, not power, but Presence. Your iniquity has turned away presence. And where he says, your sins have withheld good. now not, not promises. Not power. You understand? That stuff. That stuff. My presence. You won't have that. There's that passage in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. You know, we've read it before, but it says, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You understand that you don't have the intimacy Later on, we're going to see that, that God meets with Moses face-to-face, very intimate in that way. But he says, your iniquities, he turns his face. You don't have that intimacy. You don't have that closeness. And when we recognize this, we see, oh, my goodness, now I understand. God says, you want, you want the promises? Have the promises. Those promises? Just land, take it. That's nothing to me. You want power? I'll drive them out. You want me? Ain't going to happen. No. The good is not going to be there. The blessing is not going to be there. And, and so you look to this and, and, and the Lord is so powerful in saying, I'm giving you the promises. I'm giving you the power and protection, but I'm not giving you my presence. In verse 3, when he says that, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Notice he makes a statement, you are a stiff-necked. Not you were, you are. And that term literally means a continual. I don't know if you've ever seen an animal, um, if you've ever seen cattle, horses, donkeys, cows, sometimes what they do is this, they, they, they fight you continually. They turn their face and they keep their neck constantly rebelling against where you want them to go. And, and they won't, that's a continual stiff neck. They continue pressure to leave where God is directing them. And he says, I'm not going to go with you. And then he warns them of the reason why. He says, I would consume you. Absolutely amazing to know that they and the pleasure God has for them is gone, just gone, so understand that you can like look to Christianity as Black Friday and saying, "Oh, what can I get? what gifts can I have? what blessed, what power can I display? God says you can have all that, but you won't have me to have him is what it's it's literally saying. I don't want to just give you the little bit for these trinket things. I want to give you all of me in a place of surrender so I can experience all of you in intimacy. And I don't need anything else. I I just don't. I love it how when we were going through Matthew that he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things would be added. You seek God, you seek his kingdom, you seek his will to be done and, and when you do that, everything else, everything that you need is there. You don't have to worry, you don't have to strive. He's there, but you're seeking first the kingdom. And so when he says this, verse three is, is this key, where he says, okay, I know you sinned at the end of, of chapter you know, 32. I'm still gonna give you promise, I'm still gonna give you the power, but I'm not gonna give you my presence. And then verse four, I want you to see here, that the, the people, when they heard this news, they mourned. And so we have this question that we ask ourselves, and I think it's important to ask ourselves, do you want the blessings and the gifts without the giver? Are you looking for green pastures that you could go and just say, I just want no chaos, I want a green pasture, I want the still water, but I don't want the shepherd. Just, just get me there and then go about your business, because I'll be fine now. Just I, I want the place, I want the stuff. Are we looking for all the benefits that, that God promises in this word without coming to that nearness and intimacy? And, and so, so often I think that becomes the heart, that they're looking for all these things, but they're not seeking God first. Well, in verse 4, when they hear this, and this is where it really jumps out at me, when the people heard this bad news, they mourned. Wow, that sounds good. It surely, surely sounds good. When we take a look at this passage, it says they, they mourned. They could have promises. They could have protection. They could have power, but they couldn't have God. And so they mourned. There's a grieving. There's this area where, where they are now no longer happy, no longer joyous. And it says, and no one put on his ornaments. When it takes a look at this issue of their mourning, a couple of things I want you to be aware of, and we'll use these couple of passages to help us direct what's going on with the children of Israel. Initially, I want to share with you, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I want to read from verses 8 through 11 for you so you can kind of grasp what's going on. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, Paul in writing to the church in Corinth says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it made you sorry. I gave you a letter. It was, you know, you were grieving. You were mourning. He says, though I, and I, I I do not regret it. Though I did regret it. I didn't, I didn't want you to be sad. You had to be sad in order to get healed. But I, I didn't want you to have to be sad. But I knew you needed to be. You needed to hear these things. For I perceive, there in verse 8, that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a little while. There was a, a, a point where you did grieve, you did mourn, you did change, but then you got a blessing. No longer was that mourning a continual thing. And so he says, verse 9, Now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. And this is key. If you're a note taker, jot it down. If you're an underliner, highlight that. Do something in your Bible because this is the key. Your sorrow led to repentance. Your sorrow led to change. This is important. This is necessary for a Christian. Sorrow that leads to change. And so we see this. He says, now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. In other words, that that you're not going to suffer any spiritual loss, but you're going to actually gain closeness with God rather than keeping a distance. And he says this in verse 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance. There is a sorrow. Godly sorrow produces, manufacture brings about repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. And so he says, for observe this very thing, that you were sorry in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, and all these things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. That your sorrow led you to repentance. Your repentance led you to let all those things go except nearness with God. That was your pursuit. And it, and that's what repentance is. It's turning away. It's going in a new direction. It's no longer pursuing those things, but it's only pursuing God. And, and there's this wonderful blessing that comes with this understanding of the sorrow that produces repentance. Now, remember when we were going through the book of Matthew? Two passages I want you to be aware of, both found at the end of the book. I want to read you the latter first and the earlier second. So... Let me read to you in Matthew chapter 27, the first five verses. Then we're going to back it up to chapter 26 and we're going to read from verses 69 on the 75. So the, the context of what's there is isn't going to change. I'm just reading the last verse and the first last. So in chapter 27, verse 1 through 5, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So keep in mind that what we're seeing here, two events have already transpired. Peter has denied the Lord. Judas has betrayed the Lord. And the chief priests now are bound Jesus. They have Jesus. They delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. And I want you to see now Judas's response to this. Then Judas, verse 3 of chapter 27 of Matthew, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful. And he brought back the 30 pieces of silver. And the chief priest, to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood and they said what is that to us you see to it then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself this is judas what happened to judas well i want to read to you one portion don't turn there you guys know this passage well but in second corinthians 7:10 says Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. He was remorseful. He was sad. He said, I betrayed innocent blood. Can I change this? I can't change it. But understand, the one thing that we do not see is a repentance, a recognizing that the sins could be forgiven. This is sorrow, but it's a worldly sorrow. But if you back it up to chapter 26, verse 69, it says, now Peter sat outside the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you were also with him with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were with him, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied it with an oath, I do not know of the man. And a little later those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse. And swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. He's now betrayed the Lord three times, as God had said. Verse 75 And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Two Men, side by side, both grieving, both mournful. One of their sorrow produces death. The other, repentance and understanding of his salvation. That he was not departing from the Lord. And I think it's important to look to those areas to see that there are realities that we all deal with, that when it comes to sin, why are we mourning? Sometimes we're mourning because we get caught. You get caught. I know that was the greatest sense of fear for me as a kid. It wasn't doing the wrong, it was the punishment that was gonna happen once I got caught, that's where the terror came. Not, Not the terror of me going to do wrong, that was nothing. The terror. Now that I was caught, that's a whole nother thing, and that's another time that we grieve. We grieve the the loss because of the consequences that have happened here on earth. We're not grieving the fact that we're sinned, that we've sinned, and, and that God's not near us, and we're not experiencing His nearness. There's a passage jotted down in Jeremiah chapter three, verse ten. I just want to share this one verse with you. Jeremiah three ten makes a statement, and yet for all This, her treacherous sister Judah, has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. Keep in mind that there are going to be times where they are grieving, they are mourning. Sometimes they do it. Why? Well, at this point, they can't dance around a golden calf anymore. Their God has now been burned up in a fire, thrown into the water. They had to drink their God. This isn't a good thing. 3,000 people of you know, the, the children of Israel about that fell. And they're sad. Now, are they sad because God said, I'm not going to be with you? Or are they sad because uh, we got consequences coming? And this is interesting because as we continue to see their journey, we begin to see that they're not really worried about God being with them. That's not the key. They're okay with the promise. They're okay with the power because they actually feel that it's limited. Remember when God said, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. You're going to come in with me. Even if you're in there, we don't want to be in there. See, it wasn't about being in His presence. It was, I want power. I want you know, this promise. I want those things, but I want it easy. I want it as easy as I can. I want to get the most for the least. God, give me the Good Friday deal here. And so we see so powerfully that the people heard in verse 4 of our text, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. Now, it begins to open up a little bit here in verse 5 and 6 about those ornaments. It says, For the Lord had said to Moses... Say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. I could do this. Thought about it, but I won't, but I could. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. So he says, I want you to take them off that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. So when we see here in verse 4, no one put on his ornaments. What they're saying is they took them off because God says, take off your ornaments. You already took them off for a golden calf. Take off your ornaments. All right, bummer. All right, here's your ornaments. So he took them off. They're doing that in obedience. And so recognize what happened is that God is stripping them of, in a sense, a thing where they thought were beautiful people. And he says, you're going you're to plain, be a little bit more plain right now. You're not going to be as elegant as you used to be. There's a passage that I just want to share with you that kind of help guide you through this process of just where God is trying to deal with the children of Israel. It's actually found in the book of Ezekiel you want to do it, turn there. We're going to camp here for a little bit. When you go to Ezekiel, travel over to chapter 16 and and follow through as I just kind of look at at what's going to happen. Ezekiel chapter 16, I'm going to read the first 17 verses, but before I do, I want to read verse 17 and then I want to back it up and I want to read 1 to 17. So follow with as I do. But Ezekiel 16 verse 17, listen to what he says you also have taken your beautiful jewelry from my gold and my silver, which I have given you, and you made for yourself images and played the harlot with them. I want you to understand, what are we seeing here? We're seeing this event. You've taken off your gold and silver, which I gave you, I'm the one that provided this for you. And you made yourself images. You made a golden calf. And you played the harlot. You said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. A cow. And cows are great. Don't get me wrong. But cows aren't God. And cows aren't going to lead you out of the promised land. And so he says... I just want you to understand, you've taken this beautiful ornaments that I gave you, and you corrupted them. And this is why God is saying, take off your ornaments. Now, look at, look at the chapter in its, its context, because it's going to make 17 just pop out at you. So Ezekiel chapter 16, beginning verse 1, again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, and say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. Speaking of Abram and Sarah. As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No I pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. But you were thrown into the open field when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. When God said the nation Israel is the nation, they were loathed, they were rejected, they were cast away, they were killed. Egypt wanting to slay Israel in the firstborn. But verse 6 says this, And when I passed by you, I saw you struggling in your own blood. A baby infant that's just discarded in the field. God says that's what you were. You were a baby infant. This tiny infant thrown out, loathed, and thrown into an open field. But verse 6, When I passed by you, I saw you struggling in your own blood, and I said you and your blood live Yes, I said to you, in your blood, live. And I made you thrive like a plant in the field. You grew. You matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew, but you were naked and bare. So when I passed by you again, I looked upon you. Indeed, your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you, and I covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you. I entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. I love this picture of love that he gives to Israel. He says, you were a cast-off infant, and I took you, and I I, I cleaned you up, and then you grew into this beautiful woman, and and there it was the time where we were going to wed. And I was gonna make you mine. And, and so he says then in verse nine, that I washed you in water. I thoroughly washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil and I clothed you in, in embroidered cloth and I gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and I layered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your wrist, chain on your neck, and I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen, silk, embroidered cloth. You ate pastry, of fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. You became the wife of a king. Incredible. Verse 14, your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor, which I bestowed on you, says the Lord. And then he says this in verse 15 and 16, he says, but you trusted in your own beauty. You played the harlot because of your fame, and you poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. You took some of your garments and adorned multicolored high places for yourself, and you played the harlot on them. Such things should not happen nor be. Do you understand? He said, I made you beautiful. I gave you these clothes and I fed you with pastries and I gave you this this, this jewelry, and you gave your love to everybody else besides me. You 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 didn't love me. You trusted in your beauty and you went out and you played the harlot. Everyone, everyone passing by who would have it. You took your garments and you made these places, the garments I gave for your beauty. You made them as a high place that you could worship other things. And then he says in verse 17, and this is that key verse You have also taken your beautiful jewelry from my gold and my silver, which I've given you, made for yourself. Images and you played the harlot with them. You made high places. You made images. And now what he's telling them is, listen, I know you've already taken off your your earrings and everything else, and you made a golden cap. Take them off again. Take them off again. And and understand, I want to share with you one passage, what we're going to get into in a couple weeks, maybe a little longer than a couple weeks, but we'll get into it eventually, in chapter 35. I say a couple of weeks, still a couple of chapters away, but there's so many verses in there. And in chapter 35, verse 22, it declares this. Just, just note this one verse. They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart. Now, this is incredible. Note know, know what's happening here. Their heart is desiring. They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart. And they brought earrings and nose rings and and necklaces and jewelry of gold. That is every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. And all of a sudden, keep in mind that now they're giving us to God. And God is going to use it to do what? Make the things in the temple. So initially, everything was not of God. And God says, take it off. Take it off. I'm not allowing you to ordain to um, ornament yourself because your heart does not. You have beauty on the outward, but your heart is just wicked. And so he strips them of their ornaments. He strips them of those things that were a thing of beauty. And so they're plain. They're plain before the Lord. They're humble before the Lord. And, and I think it's important when we come to this place of repentance, it isn't about puffing yourself up. It's about humbling yourself. And this is an outward picture of it, taking off your jewelry, you know, not, not, not dressing in the best clothes, but coming into a place of sackcloth and ashes. It's a place of humility. But I want you to see here, now in, in verse 7, it, it makes this statement For Moses took his tent, his tent, and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp. And he called it the tabernacle of meeting. So what Moses does is this. I think this is absolutely hilarious. They've been talking about building a tabernacle. They don't have it built yet. But what Moses does is this. He actually goes, he packs up his tent. And he takes his tent outside the camp, far from the camp. And he goes, this is the tabernacle of meeting. What does it mean? This is where I'm going to meet with God. Now, why does he do that? God's not coming into the camp. God is not coming into the camp. And I think it's so important to recognize what has happened because Israel has defiled the camp. And God will not come into this defiled camp. And so notice what happened. Moses takes his tent, pitches it outside the camp, far from the camp, called the tabernacle of the meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out. To the tabernacle of meeting. Which was outside the camp. Now I want you to understand two huge things. That are, are included with this. Because God in his holiness. Prevented him from coming into this defiled camp. But God in his grace. Allowed them to leave the defilement. And come and be near to him. That he wouldn't run away if you leave what is defiled. This is important for all of us who are Christians. Who think I want stuff, I want stuff. It's not about stuff, it's about closeness with God. And if it's about stuff for you, then you you just need to pray a little bit harder. Because you recognize, I know the one thing I want is the joy of my salvation. The nearness and experiencing God in my salvation keep in mind that inside the camp there's defilement outside the camp there's love outside the camp there's 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 truth outside the camp there's change inside the camp defilement and if you, if you understand that if if you get that then we begin to understand this is what god Desired because Moses forsook Egypt for the suffering of his people. You know, I'll, I'll suffer with you. But but this part here, the, this is you. This is you. Now now, now Amazingly, we're going to see that that when when Moses goes outside and and the tabernacle, he's going to glow. We'll look at that. You know, coming up. But at, at this point, we see here that he'll always go back to the tabernacle. Joshua, we're going to find, is never going to leave the tabernacle. He's just going to stay right there. Like I don't know the people. I don't want anything to I didn't do with them. Eventually, he's going to be called to lead them. But it's important to to make a note that one, as we look to this whole area, that that God says, sin separates you. You can still experience promises, and I think this is what throws some people off because they sin. And they still experience blessings of God. And they go, God definitely has to be okay with my sin because look at the blessings. I still have the gifts that God has given me. There's still power in my life and power in my walk. So apparently God is okay with my sin. But what happens is this. You know as well as I do that in that sin you can't experience the intimacy with God. And this is what happens. If you want to experience intimacy with God, God says, I've departed from the defilement. You'll still experience things. My promises in Christ are yes and amen. My my, my power is there with the Holy Spirit, but you will not have nearness with me. You won't have intimacy with me. You can't experience a deep, deep connection of a relationship because I'm not there. You can have all the surface things, and you can have all the pretend things, but you can't have me. And what happened is the people were sad. Why were they sad? That's the question. Why were they sad? Did it lead them to a place of repentance, or is it going to lead them to a place of death? Let me tell you what happened to every person of the nation of Israel who was over the age of 20. They wandered the wilderness for 40 years and every single one of them perished. You have to understand godly sorrow, death. Or worldly sorrow is death. Godly sorrow, repentance, life. And so as we see this, I think it's so important that, that, that note these things to be true in your life. As we're coming up to that incredible event that everyone's looking for, Black Friday, Black Friday, you know, uh, it's important to recognize that in our Christian walk, do we think the same thing? Is it about stuff? Is, is it what can I gain for the least amount? Or is it I want to draw near to God? And, and if you want that, let me just give you one piece of advice to the song here in verse seven. Leave the defilement. Walk away from it. Repent. That, that's godly lead, sorrow leads to repentance, leads to change a different direction leave defilement and just draw near to God, he's waiting for you oh he's waiting I love the fact that everyone who sought the Lord went out to Moses' house he said this is the tabernacle of meeting I have called my house that God doesn't correct us, yeah I'll meet with you there That's fine. I'm not going to meet inside the camp, but you're outside. I'll I'll be here. I'll meet with the people. Anyone who wants to meet with me, I will be here. I want intimacy, but I can't be a part of that defilement. I can't be a part of that sin. And now we begin to understand a little bit clearer when we looked at that one part where um, there in Jeremiah 5, he says, your iniquity have turned away the blessings. Your sin have withheld good. And we see that we're, we're wrong when we think it's tough. How often have you experienced and, you know, have done sin in your life and still experienced a blessing? Still experienced the presence, you know, the, the, the power of God and the promise of God. But you don't have that connection. You can't come and worship and abandon because he's not there. You, you know his presence. And you can't sense his presence. Maybe you're like Samson where you don't even know the spirit leaves you. But I'll tell you what, when you are in tune with God and you begin to just notice his spirit just just ungluing just a little bit, you just freak out and you repent and you say, don't, don't, tell me what I need to. Just come close to me, Lord. Let me come close to you. I will leave anything. Nothing matters more than the intimacy that I can have with you. That is something that we can go into the next couple days and be thankful for. Mm-hmm. To be grateful that, God, your word helps bring clarity to our lives. Amen? Amen. Well, Father, we're so grateful for this passage and what it is that you have to show us and what it is that you want to knit our hearts to. And so, Father, teach us. Teach us. If any one of us are at a place where we're in a place of practice sin that you've talked to us about, we're in a place where we're not really seeking you. We seek stuff. We seek blessings. We seek promises, but we're not seeking you. Father, reveal in our, in our in our hearts, in our very souls, in the core of who we are, how empty that is. That if you do not go with us, we don't want to be there. And so teach us to walk away from that place of defilement. Teach us to walk to where you are. Teach us to come to the cross where love is declared, and where, where forgiveness is poured out, and where intimacy, this deep relationship, began and grows. So knit us to these truths we ask in Jesus' name, and all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen. Amen.